So uh, the next award, you kind of jumped ahead into it and already gave who you think your candidate was, but Defensive Player of the Year. I think Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I mean, obviously you could throw Draymond Green out there because of his versatility and the you know what he allows the other guys in Golden State to do, the freedom that he gives them by being such a defensively focused guy. Um, but I think you know when you talk about the the great wings in the league, the guy that you want to guard them is Kawhi Leonard. Yes, nobody. If else. you had to pick. Who do you put on LeBron? Who do you put on Durant? Which guy gives you the best chance? I, I, I'm pretty sure Kawhi Leonard is the answer. And what's super impressive is, you know, on the offensive side of things, he is an MVP candidate as well. Yes, I he mean, is. And so much of the MVP race, they don't mention defense in that. No one's going to say um, that Westbrook is Defensive Player of the Year. No one's going to say that Harden is Defensive Player of the Year. But Kawhi Leonard is right at the top of the league on both sides of the ball. And um, if it's not like he's a specialist just kind of slacking off on the offensive end and then he only does, playing he plays defense. both sides of the ball. And not saying that the rest of the candidates for MVP don't play the other side of the ball. I mean, well, if we're talking about James Harden, that's a different story. But they don't play as well as exactly. Kawhi. Exactly. Like, I was thinking about it. And I was listening to Paul Pierce when he was talking on ESPN about how he felt Kevin Durant is the best player. And I look at this best player when we look at who's the best player in the NBA, and it's always predicated off of offense. Yep. But Kawhi forces you to rethink that because he plays both sides of the ball so well and does it so quietly. That is just like, how can you really just say that MVP is one side of the ball? Because it's like... It's kind of like football with offensive player of the year and exactly, defensive player of the year. Exactly. And then they, but they still have a league MVP. Right. And more times than not, the league MVP goes to offense. But with football, it's so different because you, you only, only play, play one, one side. side of the yeah. ball. Yeah. So it's like now we just get to gauge yeah. your stats off this one side of the ball for what you did. Okay, you had to focus on offense. What did you do offensively? You had to focus defensively. What did you have to do on that side of the ball? But on basketball, it's two sides. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, <laughs> but we love offense. And we can look at the rules of the game and how they change to offense. It's just like how baseball, when they went through their steroids era, when the home run was the big thing for the fans. High-scoring games. Are exactly. When involved. you look at basketball, if the score is not 120 to 102, I don't think the NBA is happy because yeah. fans come to see the ball be put in the basket. When I don't think a team like the 2004 Detroit Pistons would be a favorite in today's NBA when we look at teams like Memphis, who are a very good defensive team. The grindhouse. Exactly. I don't think they're one of the favorites of the NBA because right. they don't score. They don't just push the ball and say, we're going to just play offense They're like all those day. 90s Knicks and Heat teams. Exactly. You know, when they score 85 points to win the game. And it's just, you know, it's not it's not what gets people tuned in on TV. But, I mean, for Defensive Player of the Year, I mean, one of my dark horses, honestly, is the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I love the defense that he played up in Utah. And for them to be a five seed, I think what they need is just more stability at the point guard position, maybe a little bit more on the wing. But I think they, they have great things there. So, And he had a great season defensively. He, he made a big leap. He did, he did. <laughs> but honestly, I'm biased in this one, Kawhi Leonard. Anytime a Spurs up for an award, I'll go with them. So I'm going to go with Kawhi Leonard yeah. for defensive player of the year. Yeah, I think that one's pretty easy. Um, rookie of the year, it's... Not difficult in the sense that there's so many guys that you could think of, but it's difficult in that 
you know, Embiid played so well when he played, but he didn't play that many games. And Malcolm Brogdon was so solid the entire season. Was Brogdon a second-round pick? No, I don't think he was a second-round pick. Late first round? I think he was a late first round. Like maybe 15? He was after the lottery. Yeah, I think he was outside of the lottery pick. You know, so you almost just want to give it to him because, uh, you know, if there's a tie and you got a guy who um, only played a part of the season and another guy who, on a fairly deep team, carved out a role for himself. Um, Unexpectedly at that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone really saw him coming, um, you know, unless you followed him in college or something like that. I mean, I would give it to Malcolm Brogdon over Joel Embiid for a few reasons. For one, I don't think Joel Embiid is a rookie. In the sense of a rookie, he had two redshirt seasons. Yeah. So, Which is a big advantage. Yeah, and we spoke about this previously on our previous podcast, is how, yeah. how he had that learning experience to go through in the NBA. Where at that the same flights, time, exactly, the practice time, Brogdon the late was nights. still going to classes and, and taking bus rides to the games and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I just think for him to have that unexpected contribution, it's almost, for me, is the same thing like the Celtics. When you exceed expectations, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like for Embiid, we thought he would be that great player coming in. He was highly touted. We knew what he could do. So with those two years from when he came in, just having time to work out, though he was hurt, in the way he kind of did what he was supposed to do. Exactly. Like we we sort of expected him to form into this great player. Like when we look at where Embiid would be in his third year, the progression he would make, do we see him being on track or exceeding that? And I, I feel like he was on track. A great player, but I feel like except he's on for the, track. Except for the except. fact of not playing games. Exactly, that he's injured. So that kind of has to count against him. Yes, it does. And I think for Brogdon, just the fact that you go to a, a versatile team who... I don't know if they made the playoffs last year. I don't um, think they did. I don't know if they did. I'm not sure if they made the playoffs last year, but your team, you make your team better. You, you fill a role, like you said. You carve out a role for yourself. And I think just the fact that he exceeded expectations. For me, in these awards, I think you should be awarded when... There's an expectation, and you perform past it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think that's that's who the award should be given to. We should honor those people who we have these these limits or what we think the quota is for this person and or their situation. And when they go past that unexpectedly, I think that's who we should award. Those are the people we should celebrate. Like, people like LeBron, not, not for nothing like LeBron James, a great player, but this is what he does all the time. Yeah. So, for LeBron, he set the bar so high for himself that he has to do what Russell Westbrook did and average a triple-double for a season, scoring 40 points. To get people to even be talking Exactly. About then he'll get the MVP and, and it'll be that way. But I think... Which is a shame because you could totally make the argument in the other direction that it shouldn't be that way. Uh, Kobe should have six MVPs. LeBron should have six MVPs. I think Kobe was a different story. I think Kobe's relationship with the media is what kept him from getting as many MVPs as he should. I think... The media just doesn't want to take the easy way out, which is giving it to LeBron all the time. Because we know for a fact that LeBron is the best player. If you put, if you take every NBA player that's a superstar, and you say, okay, you have to be on your own team, we all know who's gonna have the better team. Because wherever you put LeBron, that's, that's the team. He's been going to the finals with the likes of Booby Gibson, right? You know what I'm saying? And Eric Snow and Damon Jones, right? And Sasha Pavlovich, like and James Jones, exactly. Like, like nobody even you probably even haven't heard these names in forever. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So that just shows that LeBron is just this great player. But we can't just give the awards to him every year. It wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be something for the fans to enjoy. But I feel like even though LeBron had an amazing season, 
Westbrook still exceeded what LeBron did. Right, and I think he exceeded the expectations for the team, um, just like a Malcolm Brogdon did in Milwaukee. So, all right, what about sixth man of the year? That's a tough one. I mean, I would still give it to Lou Williams. I felt like he had the best year even playing on two teams. I think he made the Lakers easier to watch when he was over there because they had all them young players, but when he came in the game, he brought some stability to it. And then for him to just go to the Rockets, I think that's like we've been saying about the Rockets. They just had the perfect perfect storm of everything over there. Just another offensive player, you could give the ball and say, go score. So I think Lou Williams, he's proved that coming off the bench, he could be one of the best players in the league. His efficiency was great, too. I Amazing. feel like as soon as he stepped into the game, you know, he could easily just hit four shots Instant real offense. quick. Instant offense. And um, it's such a big factor to have off the bench. You know, because so many times when uh, when the starters come out of the game, the team that's a little top-heavy in, in terms of having most of their talent in one or two players, they really have a lull when those guys sit down. And to have a guy like a Lou Williams who can come in there and – be something that causes a 6-0 run. Um, that really changes games because it's hard to make up some of those points. Um, and, you know, it, it, those are really valuable minutes when, um, you know, when someone... When he comes into the game. Yeah, when, when, when you can come into the game and start making, um, you know, just really tough for a, a bench guy to guard you, essentially. Um, right? I mean, and, and, and that's one aspect of the six-man award that people maybe don't talk about too much. But, like, um, you know, they're kind of going after second-level uh, defensive players. They are. They are. That, and that's what makes them so dangerous. Like, you know for a fact that in the right situation, Lou Williams could be a starter. If he was given the right opportunity to just say, okay, when you get the ball, go ahead and go. But a lot of teams don't want to say that. They want stability from their first unit. They want to come in and say, okay, we know we're going to get, so let's go out with that unit offensively, defensively. We know we're going to get the beginning of the game. But Lou Williams could be that change of pace guard. When he comes in the game, he affects it just so much. Like, you know you have to guard him. And honestly, I don't think there's anybody else who really wowed me off the bench. Jamal Crawford had a so-so year, especially with the Clippers struggling, a lot of injuries over there. I, I just think... Lou Williams, he stood out more than anybody else when I'm looking at he's, off the bench for every team. I he, think. like, is the new Jamal Crawford. Uh, he basically plays that role. And the other the other aspect to a really good six-man is they let those star players rest a little more. Because you have that offensive ability, because the whole team doesn't come to a standstill when the, when the star sits for a few minutes, it takes a lot of pressure off of those guys. You get a few extra rest minutes. You'd never have to cut that short which can happen on any given night with the wrong, you know, matchups. Um, where, okay, you know, you you can only get two minutes of rest at a time against certain teams, like a Golden State, because they're just going to go off on a run. And to have a guy like Lou Williams in there to kind of keep pace for a little while. There's no drop-off when he comes in the game. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's pretty special. So, yeah, I, I think he was kind of head and shoulders above all the other six men. And most improved. Most improved. That's a really good one. Um Kumpo jumps out. That's exactly who I'm giving it to. Um, There's nobody else who improved more. Like, he went from being a really good player with a lot of potential to I can see him next year becoming a star of the league. Yeah. 
I, I can see a lot of people finally being able to pronounce his name right. Yeah. Like, um, so. Could, could he be a top five player in the league? Essentially, that's kind of the level he's getting towards. If, if he develops a steady jump shot. Ooh, that's dangerous. I think there's no way to guard him. I think he becomes and he becomes a poor man's Kevin Durant. Yes. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because a player who's at that size, who can score and that versatile, because if you look at the strides he takes to the basket, so it's long. just like Kevin Durant. He'll take three steps from half court, and it's a dunk. And I feel like he has even more reach with his arms. I, I think he. I think he's a little bit more... I think he, yeah, I think that he has more a little bit more reach than Kevin Durant. I yeah. mean, they call him the Greek freak for a reason. I think he he really does. His wingspan may be a little bit longer than Kevin Durant's. I think His, so. He's a more explosive athlete. Not saying that Kevin Durant is not an athlete, but when you but, look at Giannis handle the ball as opposed to when Kevin Durant does, like, you know, okay, Kevin Durant is going to make a move. He could just shoot the jump shot or he's going to use his length to go by you. With Giannis, is going to be an explosive crossover. Right. He's going to dunk on you. Right. And I don't think you get that so much from Kevin Durant. But Durant's a little more controlled and um, you know, sort of intending to get to a spot for a pull-up jumper, that sort of thing. And um, at Tetapumbo, he's just going to go all the way and extend. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazing what he's been able to do. And there's signs of his jump shot emerging. I mean, it, it's not quite there. But not quite, not quite. It's certainly better than a year ago. It's and picking two up. Years it's ago, picking up some. I would say that um, to the point where you know there there will be stretches where he's hitting that shot, and you really throw up your hands and say, okay, uh, you know what what are you going to do? And I remember in his rookie year, I was watching the Knicks, and he was matched up against Carmelo. Defensively, I said, wow, like he's kind of giving Carmelo problems he because is. He his was, length. Right? Uh, closes the gap. It does. In a way that most guys are not used to uh, a defender being able to extend that way. So he, you know, he really, uh, really affects the game defensively in a really big way. 